It's Palm Sunday. Does anybody know what that is? It's a commemoration of this significant moment. It's in three of the four Gospels. I'm going to be reading from Mark's Gospel, the 11th chapter. And the, the 11th chapter is famous for verse 22 through 25. Have faith in God. Speak to your mountains. Pray, believe, and receive. And when you pray, forgive. Uh, we need to have no offense and not walk in any kind of unforgiveness. It unravels all of the previously positioned blessings. God has really called us to a position of walking in love. And the world's crazy. The world's offended and angry. And we, uh, we in the church have got to not dip into those lows. God's called us to something different. Not holier than thou, but we are actually called to walk a different walk. And so Jesus is the one that comes to bring that potential. And in Mark chapter 11... Verse 1, I'll start there, and I'm going to read through verse 10. New American Standard Bible. If you have your Bibles, you could turn, and we could read the different translations. New, New King James, NIV, King James, whatever you're reading. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethagy and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt, Tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Aren't you glad Jesus gave specific instruction? There are general instructions, the Word of God, and then God will specify things by the Holy Spirit to show us what we're to do. Husbands, how to treat your wives in an understanding way. Wives, how to be in prayer and how to trust God for your your offspring and for, for the, the fruit of your hands, you know. Um, what, how we're to conduct ourselves at work. We're instructed about entering into his gates with praise and worship. And we're instructed about tithing and giving and praying and sharing the good news. But this specific word here, Jesus is asserting he's the Messiah. And he knows this is how he has to enter Jerusalem because Zechariah foretold it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you going and getting this colt and untying it? He says, here's what you should say. The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away. So you see they immediately obeyed. Found a colt tied at the door. Sure enough, there it was, outside in the street, and they untied it. So some of the bystanders were saying to them, hey, what are you doing? Untying the colt. So then they had been prepped by Jesus, so they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. You know, if you and I speak to others just as Jesus has told us, we'll get a great result. And these guys did what they were told on the timetable and spoke what they were supposed to say, and they gave them permission, and they gave them permission. Sure enough, so they brought the colt to Jesus, put their coats on it, and sat on it. He sat on it. And many spread their coats in the, in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Now, in the ancient times, it was customary to go cut palm leaves and, and willow branches and lay them on the path in honor of some, a dignitary coming into town. And in this case, they were also laying out their coats. I think it was Sir Walter Raleigh that, that laid his coat on a muddy street for the queen so she could walk through without uh, getting her, her shoes soiled. 
And uh, that's a kind of a famous indication of honor. Everybody say honor. Honor is in very, very short supply in the world system, but it is to be a magnified element amongst us. The Bible says that we're to outdo one another in showing honor. We are to be proficient in, in skills of honor where we are respectful. I'm not talking about flattery, but I'm talking about respect. In this case, they're coming out and they're, they're honoring Jesus as he's coming in on this donkey. They, the Jewish people, understood some things maybe we don't understand. For example, there's a difference between entering in on a donkey and entering in on a horse. You remember Alexander the Great and his famous white horse, big giant horse. It was a statement of war and it was a war horse. You've heard the phrase war horse. Well, a donkey is a statement, if a king would come in on a donkey, they would see a king coming in on a donkey, and then that, that would be a statement right off the bat. He's coming in peace. He's not coming for war. Uh, you remember General George Washington, the famous paintings, not the Potomac when he was in a boat, but in a lot of those paintings, he's up you know, with a very proper posture you know, with his three-pointed hat and his, his white uh, wig and everything, and he's up there on that war horse. There's even a film about a war horse, but this is about a lowly little colt. The king of kings and the lord of lords comes in to Jerusalem in a triumphal entry stating peace, stating that he's the Messiah, stating that he's come to bring answers. And they exclaim, and they conclude this, throwing these branches out, and they go before, it says, and those who went in front of him and those who followed were shouting. And I think this is interesting. I read this yesterday and I thought, wow, you know, those who went in front of him and those who went behind him. Now, literally, there were people in front of him and people behind him. But then I thought, because God never wastes symbols, the symbol of the donkey is something we are going to talk about today. And I, your takeaway is going to be en enriched. You're going to realize something about what Jesus brought, what he stated by going in on a, on a, on a donkey on a service vehicle. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a service vehicle. I know my dad got saved entering into the kingdom from a service standpoint. The greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all. I started a ministry in 1985 called Service International because it has an innocuous phrase. I anticipated, get this, that we would be going into communist nations and we'd be going into Muslim nations and places like that, non-Christian places, and that I, I wanted to have a Christian phrase that yet wasn't church speak. So Service International, we've had to keep guarding this copyright because different companies have tried to use it, but I got it so many years ago because it's the Great Commission in a ju just different synonymous terms. You know, Gary Chapman in 1992, the Baptist pastor who wrote the five love languages, he, he not only taught about how to love your mate, but also then he broke it down how to love your teenagers. I think it's also good how to love your God. And there are five love languages. Among them is service, acts of service, words of affirmation, giving of gifts or giving and receiving, physical touch, and then quality time. And I mean, we could, in a very real parallel, take all of those in our adoration and affection toward God. All of those in the way we approach society. All, all of that, and, and, and yet, in these, this case, they were putting these palm leaves down. They were expressing words of affirmation. Hosanna, everybody say Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna was actually a prayer 
that meant help we pray. Everybody say, help we pray. When I got lost at sea in New Zealand, my prayer was so sophisticated. Help! That's what I prayed. Help! I wasn't yelling it to anybody because nobody was there. I was praying it through my snorkel. Help! I need you, Jesus. Help! And I'm, I'm here to tell you that he is a very present help. Who in here would say God has helped you through a thing or two? He's helped you with your children, helped you in your prayer life. He's helped you when you battled sickness, cancer cells. We need help when we have to deal with that kind of garbage, right? Get a strategy so when our minds are all numb from the alarming symptoms or, or bad reports, you know, or the shock waves that come through from society, this king seated on this service animal is making a statement. It upset some of the zealots that wanted their Messiah to come in in a Sherman tank and with a bazooka on his shoulder, blowing up the Roman uh, oppression. They didn't have a clear understanding about God's kingdom and all of its elements as we now can understand. But this is such a statement. He's coming in, and he's coming in to bring peace, and he's coming in to bring help. And uh, it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. They're saying this is such a blessing. He's, he's blessed and the blesser has come to bless us. And blessing represents today, Palm Sunday, the amazing blessing. And on the church calendar, the liturgical church would say, you know, here we are in Holy Week and so forth. It's something I've never really understood. I wasn't raised in church, so that's all foreign to me. And, and, and yet, if you see the biblical pattern, this was toward the end of Jesus' life, uh, earthly ministry. He's going in there. He's getting ready to pay the penalty for all of humanity's sins. And he's not coming in on a war horse. He's coming in humble. He's coming in on a service vehicle. And this is what I want to bring to you today so you, you can kind of have an understanding. God is so kind to us and so clear to us that he speaks to us these deep spiritual things in understandable human terms. So this triumphal entry on a lowly animal reveals much about Jesus' character, the nature of Christ, and his purposes. So here are some interesting facts. If you're a note taker, you have the means to write down some notes. You can write down number one. This is emphatic. This proclaims his rightful place as the prophesied Messiah. This entry is exactly the way Zechariah prophesied it in Zechariah chapter 9. And we're going to look at verse 9 and 10. Zechariah is about right there in the Bible. It's just on the, toward the end of the Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew and then you just keep going back a few pages, you'll find Zechariah. And if you can't find it in your Bible, you can look at it on the screen. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Look at this. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Humble and mounted on a donkey. That's humbling. I remember... I got invited to go uh, on a mountain uh, camp in uh, the Sierras, the high Sierras out in California. 
We drove up into Kings Canyon, which is near the Sequoia Redwood Forest. We were going to spend several days up there with uh, some fathers and sons, a small group of us, and we had arranged to rent pack animals to take us up the mountain so we could have maximized time up there. We were all you know, not conditioned to or acclimated to the altitude yet, so it gave us an advantage. It cost a few extra dollars. It, it stimulated the economy for this company uh, where these ranch hands had these horses. So when we got there, there were these beautiful steeds you know, running around, and it was kind of cool. You know, we, beautiful, fresh mountain air, gigantic you know, two, 3,000-year-old trees. You know, and amazingly, I mean, the General Sherman tree had been hit by lightning. It had gone through forest fires. And it was just, just this big, beautiful, gnarly example of endurance and of longevity. And it, is, it was very inspirational, beautiful. Uh, crystal clear waters, mountain uh, snow melts, and, you know, big, giant, round boulders. Uh, a beautiful place. And uh, the, the horses were amazing. And I was looking at these horses, you know, and, and I brought my pack and, and, and we all, you know, set up there, and then the, the guys came out here, and they counted, I think there were eight of us, and, they, and there, there was one particular horse we all laughed about, that it was a, it was a mule, it was a pack mule, and it, it just had a, it had a face that only a mother could love, and, and, and if I described it to you, it was, we were just, we were just, it was a humble-looking creature, and uh, so they... It was kind of like, it reminded me of junior high basketball when they picked uh, people and you, you, know, you ended up being the one that was last, you know. I got, guess which horse they picked for me? I got the very end of the whole, pa- and it was really dusty and dry. So I ate a lot of dirt and I, I, and I was, it was amazing how I ended up with this animal. And um, we got all the way up to the top there, they, they dropped us off and and we walked the rest of the way, and we got some water out of a creek and so forth. It was very cool. But I told my friend Randy Travis about it. I said, man, you know, all these beautiful horses. And then I ended up with this pack horse. He goes, you got the best one. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, they're the most sure-footed. I would have picked that horse in that kind of situation with that rocky, dry ground. Oh, yeah, you, had the, you were the safest with that, with that horse. I thought, okay, well, he, he owned a lot of horses and so he was a horse guy, and his dad was a horse guy, so he understood horses. But with us today, the contrast between a horse and a donkey, it, it speaks of he comes in humble. It says right here, humble and mounted on a donkey. It was humbling for me to be on that. They, they mocked me. The rest of my group mocked me the whole trip over that horse. But actually, before honor comes humility, let me speak to this. The king of kings, uh, who could have called 10,000s of angels, humbles himself, and according to scripture, God shows it how he's doing it his way. And through the prophet Zechariah, he says, this is how it's going to happen. You guys rejoice, because this kingdom is different than the world's modelings of kingdoms, of its power, its prestige, its dynamism, all of its harshness, all of its uh, oppression. Again, the Macedonian conqueror, Alexander the Great, He's famous for being on this white horse, and he would ride through. He had such a sense of manifest destiny that he thought he was impervious to injury. He would ride out there, and that's why they were intimidated by him, because he'd be out in the middle of spears and arrows flying, and he would just sit there because he just felt like he just had some sort of uh, mentality about himself. It was a pride-oriented type of man. But Jesus comes in not to be served, but to serve. Our king 
is the king of kings and the creator of all creation. And he comes in on a donkey's colt to make a statement to all of us, first and foremost, that he is the prophesied Messiah. And this verse is emphatically fulfilled. And look what he says he's going to do. Jesus rides in number two on a donkey to symbolize peace. One of my favorite verses in Isaiah during Christmas is the phrase that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He said, when I come, I'll bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. People are looking for peace. People are praying for peace. There'll be a peace that's false peace. They'll say peace, peace, and there is no peace. And yet, Jesus gives each and one, every one of us a peace that passes all understanding. How could the lady in the last service have peace when she's had a mammogram diagnosis that's scary? How could a family have a son fall on the ice skating rink at 12 years old with a dangerous tumor wrapped around his brain stem and the doctor saying he may live only seven more days? And then to only to have him come through it and not only come through it, but mature and grow up and find a little sweetheart in church and get married and then crank out not one but two babies and be successful, now three babies, I lost count, and, and have amazing success in business. Oh, and then his father having to deal with a, a diagnosis, or his mother. Well, yet, it's like, it's, it's unfair. Life's unfair, and yet, the Prince of Peace comes with salvation, and he's a carrier of pardons all of our iniquities, heals all of our diseases. By the way, he comes in, and not as a warrior, he comes in as a servant. I have come to let you know, humanity, that I love you, that I forgive you, that I've come to rescue you. Hallelujah. That's what Randy Travis told me about that donkey. He said, You're, you were on the sure-footed, solid. I would have picked that over anything else. Jesus picked this over anything else. Why? God had prophesied and foretold it to let humanity know that our king is different than any other king. He is not self-promoting. He's not using power and some sort of a, a, a bias to offend and hurt and dominate and be brutish. Jesus said to his disciples, look, man, the Gentiles lord it over everybody else, but not so with you. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant. We're to serve one another in our households. This will make our marriages better. This will make church the way it's supposed to be. This will make businesses better. The reason the man that was in between jobs has been commended by the owner of the company, he's the oldest of the bunch. You know, it's a bunch of millennials and then him. But yet he's not intimidated by that. He doesn't feel like the old guy. He's coming in with wisdom. But more importantly, he's, he said this, and I quote, the things I learned at church, I'm implementing on my job. The Lord is causing a tremendous blessing to take place. What you're learning today on Palm Sunday, peel it back beyond the Christian traditionalism of it and see it for what it is. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He comes in to serve, he comes in and his, he comes in to die for the sins of humanity. Judas couldn't even handle it. He never even understood it. It was foreign to him. It wasn't what he wanted. And he lived and died in a disorientation. He didn't even get it. He, 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 he didn't want the lady to offer the spike nerd ointment because he had his hand in the till and he, he was evil. And he, 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 was, he was looking at things in such a bias. And ultimately his, his betrayal is noted and recorded. That, that kind of mentality and that kind of bias ultimately precipitates betrayal. But, but yet on the other hand, we humble ourselves. And we recognize who Jesus is. This is most powerful. And in fact, look what it says here. 
it says in Zechariah 9.10, he said, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. Now the chariot is a war machine. It's the end of the vehicle of war. He said, uh, the horse from Jerusalem. It's not a, a war horse now. It's a donkey. It's a service vehicle. He comes in on a service vehicle. Uh, the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations. Peace to the nations. And his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. His rule will be all over pervasive. His reign will extend over territory with no enemies of concern. Jesus fulfills Zechariah's prediction that was said in the angel proclamation, the angel's song, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. The world has just come through some turbulence, a pandemic, the issues of society that we've seen in the news, and the condition of hearts, the phenomenon that we're in in this period of our lives. We thought 2020 would be a year of vision and all kinds of hopefulness, and yet we are prisoners of hope. We are fixated on where the real help comes from. It doesn't come from man. It comes to us, and we are trusting for God's purposes and his plans to be done. Verse 11, it says, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold. Look at this wording. O prisoners who have the hope. I love that verse. In the King James, it says prisoners of hope. Did you know we're inextricably bound to hope? We're called to be hopeful. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. There, there, there have been some daunting times. There have been some harsh situations we've come through as a people. Uh, this is not uncommon. This has happened. 1938, Germany. You can imagine the difficulty of the church in Germany. I talked to Reinhard Bonnke about it. His parents, his dad was a pastor. And he, he was born in 1940. He explained to me about living in the hated nation. We had great conversation and discussion about it. We lived in Liverpool, England. They still have a cathedral that they've allowed to stay in its state. It had, it had been bombed during the Blitzkrieg. We lived with a lady named Auntie Millie who lived through that. It was a Christian through that time. You talk about hard times. And she would put her little son into her, her stroller and she would take gospel tracts. Every time there was an air raid, she said, I found that the next day people's hearts were receptive to the gospel. I said, what did you do? She said, I put my son in the pram and I pushed through the rubble and everybody I found, they were, I found them to be quite open to and listening to the gospel of Jesus. I'm telling you, God is doing something in our generation. 2,000 years ago, the situation in Jerusalem, the oppression of the, the invader Rome, the pervasiveness of their dominance and their behavior, their harshness, and these Jewish people were trying to struggle through life and their, ho their hope was on the Messiah. They were prisoners of hope. They had been told as young Hebrews that a, a Messiah was going to come that not only was going to save the Jewish people, but was in fact going to save even the Romans, all the people. And Jesus came to bring that fulfillment. And 2,000 years ago, they put palm leaves and they put willow branches and they put coats on the ground. They said, Hosanna. Hosanna has shifted from being, Lord, save us, 
to an exclamation of, he is the Savior, he is our Deliverer. Everybody say, Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he says, look, the, the blood of this covenant, he says, I'm going to set the prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, O prisoners who have the hope. This very day I am proclaiming that I will restore double to you. Hallelujah. Whatever the enemy comes to steal, God comes to bring in abundance. With, with Job's case, he had so much hardship through several months of his life that at the end of his life, the Lord restored Job's fortunes twofold. In Proverbs, it says, when the thief comes, they're required, they're caught, they have to pay back seven times. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and here the Lord is saying again, Look, I'm coming in on a donkey's colt. I'm coming in to bring peace. I'm coming in to bring restoration. And you guys that are prisoners of hope that keep carrying this hope, even when this thing is going weird, keep your hope alive because the king has come. Hallelujah. So good. I'm excited about Good Friday. I'm excited about Easter. I'm tying it all together. But this is Jesus coming in on the scene coming in in an unusual way. To the zealots, they're like, I wanted it to be more uh, militaristic. I wanted it to be more of uh, this certain way. But yet, when you walk with God, teach us your ways, God. Your ways, our ways are not like your ways. Your ways are different from our ways, right? Yeah. Before honor comes humility. Right. Listen, there's a man named Tom Shaw who his father was the mayor of Clayton, the Shaw Park right there on uh, the corner of Maryland and Brentwood, beautiful park, and named after him. Tom was his son. He came out here and developed all this area called Chesterfield. He, in 1995, the Post-Dispatch called him Mr. Chesterfield. And on that very day that a four-page spread giving, conferring such significant honor to this man, it's so thoroughly written article, Pictures of him, places showing that the old farm hills had become these beautiful bedroom community, one of the signature communities of St. Louis County, and that it was all attributable to this man's hard work, his achievements, his strategy, his ongoing work ethic. And on that day, we had a play called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And at the altar call, Tom was sitting about three rows from the back next to the mayor of the city, Jack Leonard, and his wife, Kathy. And when the altar call was being made, you need Jesus to come into your life. Tom got convicted. And, I, and Tom turned to Kathy, his wife, and said, Kathy, would you mind if I stood up and I went up there? And she said, no, you do what you need to do, Tom, which praise God for a wife that wants to support somebody uh, in their desire for the Lord. Uh, Jack Leonard was a member of Bonham Presbyterian and Pastor Caps at the time kept prophesying to him. He called him Mr. Mayor all the time, before Chesterfield was a city. He was, Jack Leonard was a beautiful businessman from Chicago. He was like old school, had that Chicago accent. I think he was a Cubs fan, but we won't hold that against him. And he had a great business acumen. He had a passion to serve, and he got set up. I got to know him because I went for a year to City Hall uh, to get the uh, zoning worked out so we could have this be extended to being used as a church. And they granted it to us unanimously. I got to know people on a first-name basis. And it was handy that all that hassle ended up facilitating familiarity and connection so that when the flood of 93 hit, I walked into the offices. They knew who I was. And I was able to take it to the next level of what the Lord told me to do to commit 
to clean up and get people back on their feet. Uh, it feels like it was yesterday. And God gave me instruction and God showed me what to do. God gave instruction to the disciples. I feel strong to point this out. Specifically, go. There's a colt. Untie it. If they ask you, tell them what the master has need of it. And God will cover it. And God did cover it because it was a prophecy from Zechariah. It was going to be fulfilled. And the bystanders, easy for the bystanders to say, yeah, go ahead and take that coal. It's not mine anyway. But, but God covered it. God supplied it. Whoever the owner of that colt is, is up in heaven going, yeah, they're talking about us right now. That was our colt. Listen, God gives detail. We don't always have it on our timetable. But God is, be, sure, be assured of this. God is, is speaking, and he's not withholding. He said, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Say this with me. I am led by the Spirit of God. Here's what John 10 says. I know the Master's voice. Say that. I know the Master's voice. The voice of a stranger I will not follow. See, in today's world, there's so much offense. And I was uh, listening to uh, Tony Caminetti's brother, Mike, from Canton, Ohio, God spoke some key things to us at his church so many years ago. We had a prophetic day there at their church. Beautiful family, the Caminetti's. Tony's, his, Mike's brother is on our board. He talked about offenses. He said people could get offended in marriage, and then they want to go get another mate. People could get offended on the job. They, one minute they love their job, and then they get offended. What's offense? It's when, in the words of Pastor Caminetti, unmet expectations arise. And it goes from, I love this job, to I hate this job. I love this mate. I hate this mate. You know, and, and that's not the biblical way to go. And, same, and then he said, as a pastor, same thing with church. You can get a, it's inevitable offenses will come. And, but yet that's part of the beauty of our discipleship is he throws us amongst, and, and he says, he insists that we work it out. In marriage, we have to work it out. He doesn't invite us to idealism. He invites us into a place where it's like, okay, given this hand dealt us and given this set of circumstances, we are now in a covenant. And so let's, and God's a covenant-keeping God, and we intend to follow through on the covenant. He'll help us with this covenant. And by speaking to us generally, speaking to us specifically, we therefore refuse to be led by offense. Say this with me. I refuse to be led by offense. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And if we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. And if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So it's important that we are not led by offenses, but we're led by the Holy Spirit, by His Word. And man, I'm telling you, if we go with the Word, we're going to get biblical results. If we go with the Holy Spirit, we're going to see divine happenings. And I want to encourage you guys to get ready and be prepared for divine happenings. The disciples were standing there, and all of a sudden Jesus says, go find a colt. And imagine, they're walking along, hey, wait a minute. In Hebrew school, uh, the rabbi talked about Zechariah's prophecy. Look at this prophecy. And they looked in the scrolls, hey, look, this, it's happening. It's happening. And not a war horse, but a, a gentle indication of peace. Number three, Jesus' entry on a donkey pointed to the foreshadowing of Father Abraham sacrificing his only son. It's like, it's like a father and his son. Remember in Genesis 49, 10 through 12, Abraham was instructed to offer Isaac up. That, rec- that was a parallel to God the Father offering up his son on a donkey. Number four, it symbolized God's blessing 
to his people. Not only blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but blessed are we in our reception of this amazing event. Jesus comes in triumphant. I love how it's called a triumphal entry. He's done his three-year earthly ministry with signs, wonders, miracles. He's lived a godly life, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, fulfilled all the messianic prophecies or up to this point, and then the remainder. Under the hand of Pontius Pilate, he was crucified uh, for your sins and mine. He died. Guess what, though? He rose from the grave. That's why he could redeem our lives from the waterless pit. In the last service, there was a man who lost his wife recently and crying hot tears. And I talked to him and I said, you know, I said, God's going to be your help. And he nodded. I could tell he wasn't offended toward God. I was really glad. I was glad he wasn't shifting his anger toward the Lord, but he was shifting his call upon God. God, I, I don't understand how this all worked out quite this way, but I do know, I do know you're good. I do know you're good. I do know you're, mer- you're merciful, right? Yeah. In this moment, there's so much, so much all around us. A pandemic, a virus, masks, attitudes, the whole issue of, of all the different social things we've seen over the last year and a half. We look at all of this and yet we lift up our eyes. We're not in denial because we're actually called to be sources of help and light bearers in the world. So we don't bury our heads in the sand. We're not naive about things. We just want to make sure we get our eyes fixed on the Lord. We don't dip down into the response and reaction of what we would have been like if we were in the world, harsh, offended, bitter, factious, arguing, you know, bigoted, and so forth, prejudicial. But we get out of that and we say, wait a minute, I'm a new creature in Christ. Jesus is Lord of my life. I have uh, the king of kings living on the inside of me. Now that he's in me, he's fostered a new beginning. And I'm a new creature. I have a new creation life. My mind is being renewed. I'm not out left out in the lurch. I actually have the Holy Spirit. I've received power since the Holy Spirit has come upon me. I think creatively. Uh, I prosper uh, and I'm in health even as my soul prospers. And these signs are to follow those who believe. In my name, they cast out demons. They speak with new tongues. They lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They, they, they shake off snakes. Some of you have been bitten. That guy was bitten. A lady in the first service, bitten by a bad report. You got to shake that serpent off into the fire. We shake off. We don't play with serpents like in Appalachia. We, we, we shake off serpents like Paul did on the Isle of Malta. It's totally different. That's not an invitation to be flagrant and be foolish. It's just a statement. And don't, they'll drink any deadly poison and it'll not hurt them. A man named Miltari out in the, in the Polynesia area, they, they tried to poison him and they, they drank it. My friend Bruce Porter was preaching to a hippie kind of communal thing, and a guy gave him a, a jug, and he drank some of it because it was a hot day, and he was kind of reluctant about it, and they watched him. They filled it with LSD. They were just waiting to watch him uh, uh, start to hallucinate. And when people slipped hallucinogenics on people, they ended up having the bad trips because they were not ready for it, and they weren't conditioned to it. I don't think it's good. Of course, it's not good in any case, but they were basically, in effect, poisoning it. Bruce stood there. When he heard about it, they said, boy, you're going to, you just drank several gulps, and you, you just took a, a big dose of, of LSD. And he went, in Jesus' name, went right back to Mark chapter 16. In Jesus' name, they'll drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm them. He never even hallucinated. God delivered him. That that wasn't playing games with it. 
It was somebody was trying to poison him, and God delivered him. Can I hear a hallelujah? Paul wasn't playing with snakes. I, woo! We don't play with snakes around here, but yet we do tread upon serpents and scorpions. My grandson liked that part of the message. He liked his grandpa hooting and hollering. Aren't you glad God doesn't call us to flirt with disaster? It's not like we're foolish. But just in case, Paul on the Isle of Malta toward the end of the book of Acts was building a fire to warm his captors. You know, God's anointing is on us for bigger things than just survivorship. Get this message today. The world needs what I'm preaching right now. The church needs it so we don't take the bait of Satan. This is anointed to help us shake the serpent off into the fire. Does anybody know the story I'm talking about? If you don't know that story in Acts, Paul is on, Acts 28, Paul is on a mission and he's actually been detained and he's appealed to go to Caesar. And there was even a time where they would have let him go except that because he appealed to Caesar, they were required under the Roman legal system to allow him to go all the way to Caesar. And he had a Roman citizenship. He was called to witness in Rome. God had called him to the epicenter of that ungodly culture. That's our example. Like the guy that lost his job, he's gone into a very Babylonian Roman environment. And it looked like he was a, it was a terrible, pathetic moment and he should have self-pity. But no, God was launching him and preparing him and bringing him into a, a season for such a time as this. Praise God. I wish I could tell you about it. But Paul was building a fire, and a serpent came out and attached to his arm. I was with a herpetologist in Zimbabwe. Say that ten times fast. And he was an expert on snakes. He had a tattoo of a snake on his hand and a missing finger. That's legit right there. He lost a finger being bitten by this particular serpent, and he said, he said Pastor Jeff, let me tell you about that snake. It's this species of snake. He named it. So those are the same snakes that when Moses out in the wilderness, they kept getting bitten, and then they raised a serpent up on a pole to basically show that Jesus took the curse. It's representative of venom, of toxicity, of sin, of the devil, and Jesus conquered that. He said those snakes are so deadly, it would have killed Paul. It would have killed Paul. But Paul shook the serpent into the fire. How many of you in this place have related to that verse through times in your marriage or times in your job or times in your thought life where it's just like the devil's tried to just bite you. And it might have been a little bitty little, little serpent. I've heard that the little bitty snakes are actually more dangerous because they just go and they just shoot all the venom in there. The, the older ones are like, I'm not wasting all of it. I just know there's just a little bit that'll kill this person. That the little babies go. It's like they've, and they, they could shoot enough to kill several people. There was a guy in the church, and he, I ran into him at a restaurant, immediately recognized him, and he said, hey, this is my mom and dad. I said, hey, guys, and his hand was all bloated up. I said, what happened to you? And, and the, the kid was explaining it to me. My dad uh, had a copperhead slithered into the front door of the house. My dad cut it in half with a, a garden hoe, and he picked up the head to carry it out and the tail, and the head was still had energy left, and it went... And, and, and shot venom into his hand, and his hand was all blown up. Well, the way the guy explained it, imagine this. Here's this guy. He's got, his, he's got a stocking cap on and a scarf. It's summer. All, he was always cold, he told me. 
and he, he, he said, and the way he explained it, he was laughing and made me laugh, a nervous laugh while I'm talking to his, I've just met his dad, I'm this pastor, that he never met his dad before, this is my pastor, oh, my dad, he got bit by a snake, and he made me laugh, and I'm going, <laughs> oh, and the guy, the more I laughed, the more stupid I felt, you ever laugh a nervous laugh when you're not supposed to laugh? I did it. And I, the way he described it is like, can you believe it? My dad picked up the dead snake and it still had life in it and bit him. And he was all bloated and swollen. And it made me think about how we will take up serpents and if we drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. God saved Mel Tari. God saved my friend Bruce Porter. God saved Paul the Apostle. And God saved us many times because Hosanna, save us now. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, he didn't come on a war horse to, in some, he will come. Listen, he will be, there will be the wrath of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. But this is the triumphal entry of this mercy side of the church age, of the dispensation of the Holy Spirit where you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And these signs will follow those who believe. And his message is peace, and he's the prince of peace. And we're prisoners of hope, and faith is the substance of things hoped for. And whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, let Jesus come in on that donkey foal, and let him come in into your heart and reveal to you the fulfillment of his messianic promises to get you and redeem your life from the waterless pit, to remind you that you have been and always will be a prisoner of hope. I'll keep your hopes alive during these times. Feed on the good news more than the news cycle on the television or on your internet. Meditate on the promises of God day and night. Don't go forward with wordlessness. Double up on the scriptures. Meditate on it day and night. And particularly, let's pay attention this week to just how good Jesus is in his triumphal entry, teaching about his sacrifice for sin, about his atoning love, and about that now we, by his grace, can enter into his rest. Let's all stand up on our feet. This is where Jesus then comes in and says, he curses the fig tree after he shares all this. He comes in, the first thing he does, he curses a fig tree to symbolize his power and authority. They see it and he goes, man, they say, well, how did, you, how did this happen? He said, I want you to have faith in God. Say, faith in God. He said, I want you to speak to the mountain. Say, speak to the mountain. The man who lost his mate is speaking to the mountain of, in, of, of hurt. The man whose mom passed a few months ago during the pandemic came to church and he's speaking to the mountain of grief, commanding it to be removed. The lady who got the mammogram, she's speaking to the mountain of fear and cancer, be removed. Pray when you pray, believe you receive. Dr. Fred Price out in Crenshaw Christian Center in Southern California said this, when I go into the prayer closet, when I pray, I believe I receive. He said, when I turn around and go out into my daily life, get inevitably attacked by doubt or circumstances that con contradict, he said, I reference, when I prayed, I believed I received. You're nodding your head because you're getting that. Say, when I pray, I believe I receive. Here's what I learned in Bible school. We don't keep reiterating and re-praying prayers. What we do is we pray the prayer of faith and we stand on the promises of the Word of God. And then that's our reference and we continue to reinforce that in praise and in thanks. We continue to thank God. God, when I prayed, I believed I received. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day where you're delivered from the waterless pit. Somebody's being delivered out of depression today. 
Somebody, cancer cells are, are dissolving. Somebody, arterial uh, hardening is being softened. Uh, blockages in uh, veins and arteries are being opened. So, somebody in this place, um, glands are starting to get restored and refreshed. Uh, uh, the lymphatic system's being cleansed. Somebody's being, the liver damaged uh, is being mended and, and tended to by the power of God's hand. Uh, so when we pray, we believe and receive, and when we stand praying, we forgive if we have anything against anyone. Let's all lift up our hands. Say, here am I, Lord. I welcome you as the King of Kings. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Jesus, the Savior of my soul. Jesus, the Redeemer from the waterless pit. Jesus, who has made me the prisoner of hope. God, I thank you. You have turned my mourning into dancing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. This will be the best Easter we've ever had since we were little kids by the grace of God. More souls, more rededications, healed marriages, children and youth on fire for God, financial breakthrough, healing power, jobs coming, wisdom about education, protection, safety, and favor. In the name of Jesus. Amen.